0: Welcome to the Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real world guide to real estate investment and property management. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, we spoke with attorney Mike Mitchell about evictions and the current legal situation as the result of COVID-19. In this special episode, we present an opportunity to hear the entire interview.
1: This is Mike Mitchell. I'm an attorney here in Memphis, been practicing 31 years, and I help Aaron and Enterprise with all their eviction suits. I can't remember how we met. I actually, it's been so long. I
0: was, I was young then. Mike, are you still with Gentry, Arnold, and Mitchell?
1: Actually, they were a PLLC, and I've kind of set out on my own, so I just share space okay. with them. There are now four of us in the office. There's Mr. J.D. Gentry and Mr. David Arnold. They do probably about 50% bankruptcy work, and the rest is just some other stuff. But Mr. Arnold does some personal injury matters, and Mr. Gentry does a lot of probate stuff. And then I do a little bit of everything. Um, And then we just got someone that's sharing office space with us, an attorney named Tony Campbell. And Tony does a lot of bankruptcy stuff. There's few attorneys that Mm -hmm. do Chapter 11 stuff just because they're very complicated, huge cases, and they're kind of above my pay grade. It's just a lot of information, and I don't care to learn this late in life. So, but. She's really good at that. So between between all four of us, though, we can probably do just about everything.
0: That's awesome. And, and do you do any sort of like um, assistance with people who are trying to form uh, corporations, LLCs, PLLCs uh, for the purpose of owning and operating real estate?
1: I've done a couple of those. Usually what I do, because Mr. Gentry's more he does more of it stuff than I am in the laws regarding incorporation, that kind of stuff. They kind of change on kind of a frequent basis. So I usually just kind of refer people down the hall. Got it.
0: Cool. Yeah. But you've done just about everything. You've done bankruptcy law. You've done domestic law, uh, general civil litigation, as well as criminal misdemeanor and traffic defense in the past. So would you say that your specialization that you have right now, your focus in law is mainly bankruptcy? Well, it's kind
1: of it's funny. It's kind of changed. I used to do probably about a fourth bankruptcy or more uh, back when the economy kind of tanked about maybe a decade ago I was probably more like 40 or 50% and then of course I started doing an eviction trial and doing a little bit of creditor work in the past year since covid has hit because of the eviction practice pretty much slowing down to nothing because of the stay requirements and all that kind of stuff it's funny the divorce practices pick way up and I think that's maybe because I hate to say it, I think sometimes you don't know your significant other as well mm-hmm. as you think you do. And I think people are just kinda getting stressed spending so much time with their significant others. And there's just an
0: upswing in divorces. You know, uh, over the last year it's it, it this is I think COVID has challenged everything that we do. That's pretty crazy. Exactly. I mean,
1: the thing is, spending. I think it's. I think it's a matter of not being able to have your own space as much as you're mm-hmm. used to having. And I think the world has kind of gotten to be a bad. I mean, with politics the past year and the 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 you know the poor guy getting killed by the police officer and everything else. I think there's a huge amount of the population, no matter. What's your political affiliations or what race you are or anything else? It's just so stressed about everything being kind of sucky the past year. A bunch of people just start dealing with the stress as well as yeah. they should have. A lot of people just want to go out in the backyard and just kind of scream just right. a little bit. I'll say this quickly, so you know, we got stuff yeah. to talk about. But, you know, the we had the most beautiful spring last year oh. that I can remember in a long time. We had a real season. And there were a couple instances where I had like a runny nose, probably just regular spring sinuses. But because of COVID, I was too scared to come in the office. So I spent a lot of time on my deck this past spring and it was just beautiful, you know, but this year is back to the garage as yeah. you And
0: you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I know that you know some of the conversations that you and I had early on um, in COVID, and it's been about a year now. In fact, tomorrow will mark a year since the first day of the uh, federal eviction moratorium. It was March the 27th, 2020. And so let's just call it a year anniversary of that experience. And just looking back on that, before I tell you what, before we get into that, there's there's one other little bit that I want to say to the listener. So just so that you, you can know what services Mike provides to Enterprise Property Management, um, he does the following things for us. He's our representation in General Sessions Court uh, to include FEDs, uh, which are forcible eviction eviction and detainer warrants uh, garnishments. Uh, he has uh, stood. Uh, he's defended Enterprise uh, in court, where there have been tenant disputes or lawsuits against the brokerage. Um, he has been my friend and, and my general legal counsel uh, when it uh, comes to determining landlord and tenant best practices. I often call him, you know, just for a gut check. Hey, you know, this is what I want to do. Is this a good idea? Mike often talks me down off the ledge, which is really important. Um, and he's helped me provide, you know, some responses to tenants and also to homeowners in situations. And it's allowed, he's He's given me a great deal of comfort over the years, um, just with his general knowledge of the law. And he's just a great guy. And so he often tells me, like, Aaron, you don't want to do this. Or I would really encourage that you not be so aggressive in a certain situation. And um, and that's been a, a big blessing for me. So, Mike, Mike, thank you all these years for standing by us.
1: Wow, you can't see me right now, but I'm so I'm just <laughs> blushing. profusely at the moment.
0: Well, we appreciate you, and, and hopefully this isn't going to be the last time that we hear you on our podcast. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the year in review, and we just have a few questions. We don't have to answer all of them, but for the last year or so, outside of a couple of breaks, there has been more or less a nationwide eviction moratorium for tenants who qualify. Tell me, from your perspective, how has COVID affected a landlord's ability to file for evictions here in Memphis over the last year?
1: Well, when it first hit and started breaking out, people kind of knew there was something going on. And then, and then when it got to where it was lit, really declared a pandemic, they just basically shut down the courts. The, the virus is spreading and they didn't want any kind of impersonal contact between people. You know, people were. You remember here in Memphis, the when it first came down it was spreading. You know, you basically weren't supposed to even leave your house except to go to the drugstore or perhaps the grocery store. They just encouraged people to stay in and not go anywhere because we had to get a grip on the mm-hmm. spread of the virus. So the courts were closed, uh, and and then when they did decide to open back up, there was a there was a stay in place that said that if you were a homeowner and if there was a federally insured mortgage that you were a stop from proceeding against people if they had a rent deficiency. Well, that's not every mortgage. Um, a lot of people don't know if their mortgage is federally, federally insured or not. But Fannie Mae backs up about, I don't know, 40, 50 percent of the mortgage. So that, That's a significant number of people, landlords or mortgage holders, that because of the federal rules could not proceed because there was a stay um, if you had a federally insured mortgage. And I understand why the government did it. You know, they're trying to keep the lid on a virus, and there's people that are losing jobs, especially, you know, left and right. I think the service industry was especially hit hard. And the government's attitude, either right or wrong, depending on your perspective, was, you know, we just got to do something. We just don't want to start setting droves of people out right. on the street. You know, that's going to have negative consequences for those people that are set out as well as well a virus and everything else. You couldn't do anything for a while because of that.
0: And that made sense. Well, that's, you know, probably, to me, I think early on yeah. um, when I called you and, and said, you know, well, what can I do? And you said, well, you can't do anything. You know, you, you just you need to stay put. You need to read uh, the, the federal a uh, uh, federally backed you know loan or mortgage moratorium which was you know as far as our investors were concerned that's about 95% of all of our investors um and you said just you know find out you know send send the declaration form that each one of our homeowners is required to to sign and, and to answer these questions out to each one of the homeowners who's uh, who uh, for whom you manage whose households were in arrears um, on the rent and have them send it back to you and swear to you you know certain things and so ninety five percent of those homeowners um, couldn't file for eviction and then we had one homeowner that owned their property free and clear. And they were able to file for eviction. And we actually got possession of that property in August. And that was one of the more challenging evictions, I think, that we've ever been through. You know, there was a lot of misinformation, I think, that was out there just in the news and on the Internet as far as how— how wide these protections were these tenant protections were and what we found out in her case is she had no protection at all under the initial moratorium which was the March 27th moratorium 2020 and so we we got one and then uh, we tried to move forward with some of the other evictions that we had at the time and we had a brief window um, at the end of August, leading all the way up to September the 4th, 2020, and then there was a second moratorium. And, and could you tell us what the differences are between the first moratorium and the second moratorium?
1: Well, the first moratorium was, you know, issued by Congress and do the FDIC, you know, insuring mortgages part. The second part was when the CDC, you know, issued the ruling that said we're going to bar people from filing eviction suits uh, just because we're trying to slow the spread of the virus and we're trying to keep people from being dispersed out into the public or different places. Uh, so that was a different reason. And the, the law was kind of convoluted because it said you can't evict people for non payment. It didn't specify whether you could or couldn't do it, perhaps the leases ended. So there were all these restrictions on it. It was just kind of hard. It was hard because nobody really knew. And it was even more difficult because the, the courts basically took the position at that point in time that we're not going to let any attorneys evict anybody. They kind of, the courts on their own, because it was almost getting into a technical area about what Mm -hmm. the coverage might be. And there's so many evictions anyway, and try to look at those on a case-by-case basis. Due to time constraints and the number of people, it just wasn't a practical Mm -hmm. way to do it. And then the courts ended up being shut down again anyway, so you couldn't do anything because the courts Mm -hmm. were closed. They were supposed to close the end of December, and they were going to open back up. First week in January when they always open up. And they've been shut down again until they just opened up Monday of this week.
0: Wow. Right. I mean, so very momentous week then um, that the courts began to hear cases and have initial settings and things like that on Monday of this week.
1: And it, the, the problem is because the, the court is it complicated because before the courts could open back up they had to present to the state Supreme Court, which in a lot of aspects, people don't know, they think that the state Supreme Court just hears cases that go up to the Court of Appeals, uh, from the state Court of Appeals to the state Supreme Court, you just decide those. But the Supreme Court actually does a lot of administrative functions. And one of those that they had to do was ensure that all the courts across the state came up with a plan of how they could reopen, how they could prevent And and try to keep the risk of infection down so that the courts could open, yet keep the risk of spreading the virus down some. Uh, What they've ended up doing is we've got six different divisions that hear General Sessions court cases. So there's six courtrooms. So what they do is they have morning dockets and afternoon dockets. So they only have morning. uh, They have three divisions open in the afternoon. They just have three divisions open. So they will put they will only allow a certain number of people into the courtroom so people can maintain their social distancing and then once that limit gets reached people that are waiting for their case that morning will either wait in the adjacent courtroom or they'll have to practice social distancing out in the hall and it's kind of a mess because there's so many different places but that's the only way you can realistically do it you know you can't It doesn't make any sense to have 80 people outside a little hallway outside a courtroom because, you know, then it looks like all those kids down partying in Miami last week. You know, you just got the risk of infection going up. So the courts are dealing with it as best they can. Uh, People just have to understand that there's a, a big backlog from both the spring of last year and then again, the early part of this year. And it's just logistically the way that they're not able to open up to full capacity yet. It's just going to take a while to muddle through that. And what they're trying to do is hear new cases that they can, and also at the same time get some of the older cases that have been dormant for a while and try to bring those on so they can try kind of slowly get rid of the backlog at the, at the same time that they're trying to address in new cases.
0: So there's so much going through my mind right now. And, you know, I think for, for anyone who has been operating in investment real estate for a long time prior to COVID, prior to the, the the complications, the the shutdowns, the restrictions that we've had, and then now the legal complications that have come from COVID. Really, no frame of reference as to how we are going to reboot this sort of you know due process. But for a while, we just had this a regular conversation about this. We sort of took it for granted that we had access to the courts. We took it for granted that we were just able to present cases to the court, you know, based on non-payment, which ninety-nine percent of our evictions are based on non-payment, and simply present that information to the judge and have the judge, you know, if the if the uh, defendant is present, the tenant is present, um, be able to you know allow them an opportunity to testify as well, whether. or not they agreed or disagreed. If they if, you know, if they wanted to go to trial, we could go to trial. And it, and it was this very simple, quick due process that we had before. And now that we've not really been able to process evictions for a year, I don't know how it's going to reboot. Like how it's going to start over.
1: Well, and that's a, that's a good legitimate question that there are a lot of attorneys are struggling with. Uh, there's a lot of you know the judges are struggling with that. We've got six very good judges. I have. Fantastic relationship mm-hmm. with all of them. I consider one of them my friend. The problem is General Sessions Court, where you do the evictions, they're a court of general jurisdiction where you can sue for basically just about anything up to a $25,000 limit. So you've got credit card companies that are trying to get in there to do stuff. You've got hospitals and medical collection that's trying to take place. You've got landlords trying to proceed their evictions. Boyfriend and girlfriend that are you know suing one another to get a car back or furniture back or something after a breakup. So you've got all these different kinds of cases, and the problem, you know, Memphis is a you know we're a county with about nine hundred thousand people in it or so, and we've just got such a volume of cases, and there's a backlog. And the court's doing the best thing they can do to take care of it, but they're trying to deal with the backlog at the same time they're dealing with all these new cases coming. And it's just a, it's just really going to be a struggle. And whereas circuit court and like the divorce court, where they hear things are above 25,000 or much more complicated cases, those courts still aren't having any, per, any in-person things because of the COVID deal, but they're doing Zoom hearings so people can get an uncontested divorce. Or people can have a Zoom hearing, and maybe do temporary support by Zoom. Some things they can do by Zoom, but the general sessions courts aren't set up like that. You know, you, you can't do that because we've got a, we've got a large poor population mm-hmm. here. Uh, not everybody that's down in court, you know, has the internet. Right. Not everybody has a, 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 a phone, an iPhone with right. Zoom on. It. So there's just no, there's no logistic way to do it except the way we've always done it in the past, which is you have a judge there, you have a plaintiff that goes into court, which in our case would be some representative enterprise, and then the defendant is summoned and they make an appearance too. And there's only a certain number of cases they can handle on those three dockets in the morning or evening. So it's just hard to get yeah. through all those. And It's just going to be a process that everyone's going to have to be you know, patient right. with. You know, it's, it's not like anybody's trying to foul up anybody's ability to proceed right. the case. It's not like they're defendant oriented or, or whatever. It's just logistically, it's just what we're right. living in now. It's just this this is an unprecedented event, and it's nothing we've ever had to deal with before. So everything's kind of a learning right.
0: process. So you know, I've really enjoyed. Um, going to to court you know in Memphis you know and in, in, in Shelby County and just watching the interaction between you and the judges and so I think what I'm hearing you say is our court system as it is much more of a human interaction that we're seeing you know justice play is played out you know through the through the course of the practice of law and we are dealing with people here and not systems. That it's it's going to be difficult. We're not going to be able to systematize the return to the normal due process, especially on cases like this, which are twenty five thousand dollars and below in general sessions, which are numerous. Do Do you have any idea what the backlog is right now with evictions? How many cases?
1: I have heard this is just what I've heard other attorneys say. I have no idea as to the numbers. I've heard it Mm from the thousands, of course. I've heard right now that they're kind of working on the backlog of cases from Mm -hmm. September. You know, and so we're at least six months behind. But when the state Supreme Court sets limits on the number of cases you can hear and you've got a certain amount coming in, there's nothing much you can do with that. You know, now since the stay Mm -hmm. has been lifted, uh, and a federal judge has said here in West Tennessee and other places that whatever the CDC tried to do to stay evictions, since that was not proper, that people can proceed. Well, now there's all these tons of evictions Mm -hmm. being filed, and when you can only handle so many, whether they're old cases or new cases, you can only handle so many. So, you know, it's just going to be bottleneck for a while. And people, people have told me. Well, you know, I can't do anything now. They're so crowded. I can't get a court date. I'm just going to wait a while. And my attitude is, you know what? You just got to file them and get in line as fast as you can. The more you wait, the further down the line you're going to be.
0: So if if, if we can, let's just ask a couple of questions about the lifting of the stay with the federal judge. Uh, So my understanding is that there are three. And I, there could have been a fourth. I just I stopped reading about these as soon as West Tennessee was was elected or or, or uh, deemed right. right. So can you can you explain a little bit about what happened just here in West Tennessee with the the federal judge that determined that the CDC eviction moratorium uh, was unconstitutional?
1: Yeah. Well, what had happened? There had already been a couple of decisions. One out of Cincinnati, and I can't remember Texas. the other place. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. What 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 had happened was a law firm here in town that represents one of the big property management companies that, that represents a lot of, you know, enterprise represents has houses. Uh, They represent a lot of apartment complexes, thousands and thousands of units in Shelby County. Uh, They filed a lawsuit alleging that the stay was unconstitutional. I haven't had the chance to to read the opinion and know exactly why, but in any event, um, that finally, the, the case in Texas got heard. The case in Cincinnati was heard maybe a couple of weeks before the decision here. And then the decision came down here, I think maybe three weeks ago, Monday, I believe, where the judge here said, you know, those other two courts are right. The CDC extended its authority, and we're going to say that what they did was unconstitutional. Now, conceivably, you know, the president could come out with something new, some kind of executive order. Perhaps the Congress could do something, but right now there's nothing mm-hmm. in place. So, because that's been lifted, uh, people can go ahead and proceed with their evictions. Before, under the old CDC rules, the only thing someone had to do is, is file something that said they make less than 100 grand a year and they had been affected some way by COVID 19. You know, I don't think there's nobody that hasn't been affected by COVID-19. I mean, I mean, even that person that sits in a house by themselves. You know, the price of food has gone up because there have been distribution problems, which has caused the price of food to go up and things like that. I mean, everybody has been affected by COVID-19. What Enterprise has done, if I can speak for them, and I think what a lot of creditors have done is they've reached out. And they've tried to work with people. I mean, enterprises always try to do that because I think y'all are one of the few landlords that don't have this cut and dry position that we just want you out no matter what. Y'all kind of have a heart. Y'all don't want to see someone displaced if there's if they've got a decent reason why they're behind. And if, and if the owner approves it, you know, if they're trying to make a good faith effort to try to catch up. You know, it's a lot less work. You don't have to worry about revamping the place after they right. move out. You don't have to worry about trying to go after them for any rent. You don't have to try to you know, get a new tenant and all that expense. So you try to work with people. And I think to a large extent, that's what a lot of people, until the stay was lifted, that's what a lot of people have been trying to mm-hmm. do anyway. As a practical matter, you can't get into court to do it because of COVID-19. And the second issue was, even if you do something to try to throw these people out, they're not working, they're not trying, you know, they, they've lost their job, they're down and out. And, you know, there's, there's no point in, trying to displace someone who has no place to go that's that's one of the things under the covid 19 test was you couldn't evict someone if they filed a notice if evicting them uh put them at risk of having to live in a a shelter or being displaced and homeless you know if you got someone who's temporarily out of a job if you evict them how the heck are they going to get someplace else to live if they don't have any current income
0: and that's, that's been a big question um, that tenants have asked me uh, who are affected by COVID, who, you know, I have heard just about every family situation. Um, one of the longer standing cases, uh, and this is pretty common, as you know, in, in your line of work, was a divorce. And it was a very sudden divorce where um, right at the beginning of COVID, um, a young woman's husband uh, just said, you know, I'm, I, I want a divorce and he left. And he, um, you know, for the first couple of months, he didn't help with child support or anything. Um, Obviously, their divorce case couldn't be heard. And so she was able to convince him to pay some portion of child support uh, for a period of time. Um, but you know, very quickly with the the federal eviction moratorium, she declared her right to not be evicted, and so for our land, our our, our homeowners, um, that was a part of the process. Uh, the The tenant uh, in would would make a declaration on a, a statement, uh, either a handwritten letter. Um, the the better version of it, though, is for them to go online and to find a, a federally issued. Document that they would sign and they would swear, um, you know, under threat of perjury, um, that certain facts were true and that they had the right to uh, not be evicted. She had to stay home and take care of her children because that was something that happened. They closed all the child care, stay home and take care of their children and her husband left. And so she was she tried unemployment. She tried all these different things. And we worked with her, but she is not paid rent to enterprise property management for one full year and uh that homeowner you know over the first three or four months he called me on the phone and he said what what can i do you know and i this just doesn't seem right to me and so i would call mike on the phone and bother poor mike and say mike what can this man do and mike just (laughs) repeatedly had to tell me aaron there's nothing that anybody can do you know you just have to explain to this man he cannot take any forward action the courts are closed anyway um and so we're just in a period of history where the law in this regard is, is sort of stopped. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, right, Mike, that they don't still owe the rent.
1: Right. That doesn't mean they don't owe the rent. It just means that you can't put them out. Right. You know, so the rent keeps on accruing. You know, it's been a year. I mean, I, I know a lot of homeowners are really, really struggling, and I, I appreciate that. And, and I'm not trying to disrespect any homeowners, but I've always had the opinion if it's rental property and investment property, you know, it's kind of a risky thing. And if you can't afford to make the payment without the rent coming in, you probably need to revisit the idea of trying to have rental property because it's like it can get to be. It's, it's just like a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. That crumble. It's very difficult. I had I had a client here in town who's a cardiac doctor who had some rent a place in Harbortown, which is not inexpensive. And the guy lost his job because of COVID, then had a relative die because of COVID. And he we got a judgment in general sessions court. Then he filed an appeal to circuit court, which is a higher court. And that take that takes a whole new process because It's a procedure in the law, a rule that says if you file an appeal, if you've got a judgment against you to to vacate an apartment or a house or whatever, the law says that you cannot remain there unless you post what's called a bond, which would mean paying the court an amount equal to one Mm -hmm. year's rent. And and that's just to keep someone from saying, "Okay, I'm going to file an appeal to a higher court. I'm going to wait five or six months until it comes up, and I'm just going to live mm-hmm. scot-free. The law said you're supposed to post a bond with the circuit court in the amount of a year's rent. Well, you know, if people had a year's rent sitting around, they wouldn't have gotten behind to begin with. But the problem with this case was, because of the situ- the time being, even if they didn't post the, the bond, you couldn't do anything to evict them because of all the, the COVID right. rules. So this poor doctor finally, when the stay was lifted by the federal court, he went in and he got his house back, you know, because the the amount had just gotten huge and it gets to a point where the rent's so big they never can cure
0: it. Right. And that's, you know, what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, just sort of transition us. From you know, the reality of what this last year has been into maybe some predictions about the future. And then also if you could kind of help me convey to the listener, uh, you know, what a typical uh, eviction um, process is like, because, Mm -hmm. you know, for 15 years, like we said, or 14 years prior to COVID you and I, or you and Paul, you know, here at the office, we would do things a certain way. And if there were no, extenuating circumstances, th- the process was the same pretty much every time.
1: You know, they're not very complicated lawsuits. You've just got to, after a while, you can almost do them, you know, with mm-hmm. half asleep because they're, they're kind of repetitive mm-hmm. in what you say. Uh, but when they shut down, it caused all kinds of problems. the one thing that may change that it can give one thing I saw today, I know for a while, the city, uh, through some grant money and that kind of thing, has been trying to work with landlords in a lot of respects to try to cure some of the make, uh maybe reduce the amount of behind or the, the property owners or whoever can take less than the full amount to allow the tenant to remain in the property and start fresh and try to stay there. And one good thing, like I said, this week was our first week I was back in court. And I was in court this morning and they have a representative and I didn't hear for sure. It's maybe someone through maybe legal services or maybe the community, community development corporation here in town, but they've got, they have an actual person here in court uh, that they have money to give away. They're trying to help defendants and they're trying to work with the defendants and the plaintiffs to try to work to help these people stay in their properties because you know, it, it didn't. It didn't really do anything. It wouldn't do anything good for the city if we had five thousand people that were suddenly homeless. Well, as,
0: and Mike, you know, I think for, it would be so many more than that. Well, yeah, I, I was just <laughs> guessing, but <it> probably not. <laughs> I, be a I lot think yeah. There. Like when, when I think about how good we've had it, um, you know, we we have. I think 11 uh, evictions that we filed with you over the last two weeks. So we have 11 cases currently, you know, pending and, and we've got two court dates, April the 9th and April the 30th, whether or not they actually hear us on those dates, you know, that's when we're on the docket. And so that's great news just to get us started back again but when I think about you know one of the one of the reasons why we don't have more tenants in this situation is because enterprise has actually has a very strict application uh, process and so we weed out a lot of of tenants before weaker paying tenants you know before they ever become tenants with enterprise and so we're we're very choosy um, we're very very fair in the process it's the same process across the board um, but we've actually done a good thing for our homeowners um, over the last 20 years in making sure that the people that are in their properties can pay the rent, they've got good jobs, they've got good credit, and they've shown that they have taken care of the landlord and their rent in the past. Uh, So we've sort of predict their future performance. Um, So anyway, 11 evictions out of 550 houses that we manage right now is not that bad, Um, but we're unusual
1: That's minuscule. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's some of these other people that that like these big apartment complexes, and they have ten percent of the people that are behind you any given time, or more than that on their rent. And that's under the that's under a normal situation. So you can just imagine what it's like now. Oh, I can't
0: you know, I mean, when I, when the worst case scenario that, that people see in the news right now are apartment buildings in Washington state or in New York where, you know, whole buildings, a 50 or 60 unit, if it's an older building, you know, up to hundreds of units that are not paying. And they, because the entire building does what's called a rent strike. And so that's one of the first things that we saw in the news, you know, people would hang these sheets outside of their windows and it would say rent strike. Um, and they were encouraging the, entire building not to pay rent, which is a really bad idea because how in the world is the person who owns that building, who manages that building going to have the funds to be able to care for essential you know, services to the tenant?
1: Well, there's places in Memphis where you can drive by and see big groups of condominiums that are now shuttered and closed because of that same thing where people weren't paying their HOA dues. So they couldn't afford to maintain the property. So since they couldn't maintain the property, People that were paying said, Why should I pay if they're not going to keep the property up? And it just becomes this big conundrum where it just gets worse and mm-hmm. worse and worse. They end up having to sugar because they just, they basically just
0: become, you know, a, a sinkhole where yeah. there's no money. Are you hearing from judges and attorneys? And I, I know that you don't just interact with attorneys here in Memphis. You interact with attorneys that are all over the state of Tennessee um, and obviously in other states. Are you is, is it the general feel that we're going to see more of the same this year as far as those tenant protections? Or do you think that we're going to be seeing uh, a gradual loosening? Um, as, as hopefully people become more vaccinated and and, and inoculated against the virus, and hopefully they also get back to work in the food industry, hospitality industry, service industry, that we're going to see this federal, uh, kind of block, uh, on evictions, um, sort of loosen more nationwide, not just here in in Tennessee, but, uh, but, but more nationwide. Are you, are you hearing that? Or are you hearing that we're going to see more of the same?
1: I'm, I'm hoping that it opens back up and things can kind of sort of get back to normal. You know, I, I have my own personal feeling is I have a, I'm a little bit concerned. Like I said, again, I, talk, I say kids because it mm-hmm. makes me feel old. But see, those the college people down in Miami playing mm-hmm. and that kind of junk. I, I think just because things are getting better and people are starting to get vaccinated does in no way mean that this crisis is anything close to over. You know, they say it's going to take like a 70 percent vaccination rate before we start getting herd immunity. My personal thoughts are it's going to take at least until August, if not later, for us to really start seeing some of these things come Mm -hmm. back to normal. And I know they've opened up downtown and restaurants and stay open later and all this stuff. But you see people and governors that are pulling restrictions on people. let's open back up the economy at the same time you see dr falke saying you know what we got to slow down just a little bit we got a little bit careful so my personal feeling is that we should kind of ease on the side of caution because we're not going to be out of the woods i don't think and everything running back to normal court-wise and probably until the fall and i think it's probably going to take at least a year if not longer before the economy gets back to where it was you know, that kind of bites a little bit, but what else yeah. can you do? You know, we're so much better than we were oh, six yeah. months ago. I just don't want us to blow it. You know, there's already been, I, I've been so busy this week, I haven't really looked. But, you know, I saw last week that there were, you know, breakouts in in Italy and other parts of Europe. And that's what they're saying is, you know, we got to really yeah. be careful. And it's bad the time of year because it's, it's a spring and people want to be glad and be doing stuff. And, You just can't run around and act like you did. Well, I I agree
0: with that. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a struggle for me because, uh, you know, I, I'm, we like, there's this conversation about family pods and, and, you know, your, your smaller social circle, the, your people group that you're with on a regular basis, you sort of form these pods and that's great. You know, uh, unfortunately for me, because I've, I have three teenagers and they're all in school. Our pods, you know, that we're in right now, they're massive. I mean, it's there are two different schools that my three children go to. Um, my wife is a an a tennis instructor at one of those schools. Um, of course, I'm in real estate, and we do our best to practice, you know, safe social distancing and and masking around here at the office. But with, then we interact with the public as well, and our office is outfitted with you know plexiglass you know windows and and the like and so and they can only go certain places in the office and I could go one so we do our best to limit and socially distance and all this but um but like you said i mean biz- business in particular does require that the public interact and so i'm very much a pragmatist when it comes to this stuff you know uh, and I had COVID earlier this year or last year um, and uh, and I'm a young man. And so, but, you know, simultaneously we talk about our, one of our realtors up here, Glenn Green, who nearly died twice from COVID. So ex Marine, it's not like
1: he was, a, not, not like he wasn't in good shape. It's not like he right. was, a he's, lucky. he's very uh,
0: lucky. It was terrifying. So, so I agree with you. I do agree with you when it, when it comes to, you know, COVID, that it's very, very serious. I think my confusion and probably a confusion for a lot of our listeners is and and you could teach a law class on this Mike how does the law continue to function especially with landlord tenant implications landlord tenant law in the midst of a scenario where homelessness you know and the economic factors that are affecting American families could definitely lead to a worsening of just people's quality of living, you know, here in the United States. I would say that in 2019, if you had the capacity to make money, you were making money. You know, in 2019, we were, if if you could be successful, you were most likely successful. And in 2020, a lot of that just came to a grinding halt. And so the position that I'm in right now, and then I'll get off my soapbox on this, is I have a job to do. Right. And my homeowners expect for me to to do my job and you help me in that process um, to hold our tenants, our residents accountable to pay their rent and also to to do the other things that they're obliged to do inside of their lease. Um, And when they don't pay their rent or they they break the lease on some level or a clause in the lease, that it is is something that we want to pursue the possession of the property We haven't been able to up until last week or this week. What I think you're going to advise me is for the management company and for all landlords across America to keep doing the right thing, right? Keep pursuing the proper response when they're allowed. And of course, it depends state by state in the vast majority of the country the CDC eviction moratorium still has not been overturned or found, you know, to be unconstitutional. Therefore they are still bound by those rules. I don't know. I just feel extremely blessed to be in a part of the country where I can pursue possession of the property again.
1: You can, but you've got got to temper that with the reality that there's a huge backlog. And as of right now, until the, until COVID gets under better control and until the state Supreme court uh, revisits and relaxes the guidelines on the number of people that can be uh, uh, in, in the courtrooms and those kind of things. Until that happens, there's just going to be a backlog, and it's just going to take uh, more time than it yeah. usually does. And you know, I know it's frustrating, and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. I don't have any special contacts where I can get a case moved up and heard faster. It's kind of like first come, first Mm -hmm. serve, but people have to realize that as as horrible as it is to people that are losing money and can't seem to get their case heard, it's it's just as bad if you're someone who's displaced from a job because of Mm -hmm. COVID-19. And until things kind of shake up and until the courts get to where they can get back to full capacity again, it's just going to be something that we're just going to have to muddle through and struggle with and that's the best answer I could get as frustrated as it is we're all doing the best mm-hmm. we can do based upon the constraints that have been given us at this point in time.
0: I think that's a wonderful response and, and and that's also the response that I'm used to hearing you say, you know, like we're all doing our best. You and I both work with people who make poor decisions, (laughs) you know, personally and professionally. And, um, when we've (laughs) talked about them just in our, in our friendship, um, we often come to the same conclusion, which is it's our hope that they just made the best decision they could in the time. Maybe it just wasn't the right decision. And there are a lot of people in a situation right now that they cannot control. Um, and so they, you know, they're, they're where they are right now. So let me just ask you a, sure. maybe a controversial question um, before we uh, end our time okay. together. You had mentioned that there is a sort of a, a representative from uh, Legal Aid um, who were who are they're, they're coming to the courtrooms now. I didn't know this until this very conversation I I think that's kind of cool. You know, for a lot of people that that don't know my background, um, I did social work and worked with social services and tried to help support people that were in a distress situation and that was my job before I got into real estate which is one of the reasons why I'm I'm relatively sensitive and 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 I am concerned about these people that we are in eviction with right now so here's a controversial question for you would you advise the average investor to strongly consider working with that advocate in the courtroom to maintain the residence for the tenant who's behind on their rent and accept a part, because I know for a fact that it's not all the rent that they owe, the, the, the person, the advocate that's in the, the courtroom and these funds that are out there, they're not gonna pay you back everything that the tenant owes you. And they're definitely not gonna pay you forward. That's gonna be the tenant's responsibility. They're gonna pay a large portion of their the arrearage, but not all of it. Would you advise, just with your gut feel about where we are in the COVID process, and how much longer we have to work through this and how congested the courts are going to be as we hear all these cases. Would you advise these investors to consider working with that advocate and accepting those funds and allowing the resident to remain?
1: I definitely think it's a good idea. You're going to get something of what you're owed. Behind, you, know, owed. Uh, you, you know, and you've, you've got to kind of look at this. You know, my experience through the years with your tenants and other people, it's not like most of the time someone just wakes up you know, the first of March, is says, you know, by darn, I just don't feel like paying my landlord today. You know, if you some loss of a job or something catastrophic, an illness, a divorce, whatever, that causes people not to pay. It's not like you find someone who's just got this entitlement attitude where I just want to stay there and live scot-free. Every, every once in a while I have, but but it's really rare that you see that attitude. And and people are struggling, and what the, the concept behind having these funds available is that people have an opportunity to stay, to get back on their feet, they keep them getting displaced. The landlord may not get all that they're owed as far as past rent, but they're gonna get something. And, you know, my experience with Enterprise of the years is y'all have always tried to work with people. And, you know, you're gonna get a lot more progress with someone trying both of you to reach a, a decision together that's beneficial for everybody rather than trying to cram something down someone's throat that mm-hmm. they don't want. You know, if you've got a tenant there who's who's lost a job or whatever and they're behind and maybe you can get half the past due rent or even more, you know, you're going to more likely get that tenant to really struggle and try in the future not to break any future right. promises as opposed to just saying, okay, 10 days, hit the road, get out of here, and you're still going to have to pay me right. the money. You know, you just, you got to be humanistic about this, and try to reach a practical solution that's good yeah, for yeah. everybody. Is it the is it the hundred percent of what you want? No, but it's it's far more likely better than you're right. going to get. And just saying, I don't I don't want any of this money you're trying to give me. I want you to get out. You know, because you're just at risk of putting someone in there in the same fate, may fall them six months later That of is road.
0: true. Now, I, I will say this, and there's, of course, there's so many points that you made. A lot of the tenants that are in the eviction process right now with Enterprise are tenants that we inherited uh, before COVID happened. You know, we're sort of working through, I think, some of the poor mistakes or the the poor decisions that were made by the previous management company. So that's one thing to to take note of. The other thing is this. You know, a lot of our investors actually just want the house back. And, and, and let me explain as to why, you know, the the, the tenants have come with, um, you know, they, they've said, I'll sign up for this fund. I'll, I will, you know, these funds, by the way, to, to the listeners that are out there, they are paying anywhere from 60 to 80% of the back rent that is due the homeowner. And so for homeowners that are, are, Content with that, um, a lot of them are taking that rent and moving forward. What I can tell you is um, there were have been two funds. You know, there was the CARES Act uh, that happened in March of 2020. The CARES Act came with some money. That money was quickly spent, but Enterprise Property Management and and our tenants that were behind, we did receive sixty percent to sixty five percent of the rent that those people owed. And because we were just at the beginning of COVID, our homeowners were a lot more flexible. Right now, I'm working with a couple of different investment groups that own property. And they, you know, Mike, as you know, the real estate values all across the country are at an all-time high. Interest rates are near an all-time low. And so, and and people are really desperate to get into real estate. So a lot of my investors right now, they're saying, look, I don't want their 6,000, their 9,000, their $14,000 of rent that they owe me. I just want possession of the property so that I can sell it. So it's actually become, becoming more cash advantageous for them to get the property back. And so, uh, you know, I'm working with two different camps here and uh, and I think people are, are definitely doing their best to try to make the best decision, you know, for, for for these people. I guess I'll ask you one last question about this and then we'll just sort of close for the day. And then I'd, I'd like for you to tell people where they can call you or email you um, if they'd like to, you know, hire you for representation uh, here locally, you know, because sure. if they're listening to this podcast about real estate in Memphis, Tennessee, they probably own real estate here in Memphis, Tennessee, and so even if they haven't hired enterprise property management to do their work, you know, this way they've gotten a feel for who you are and they know that you're quite capable of representing them um, in all, all manner of legal needs. But but I'll ask this one last question before we go um, with, you know, we've seen the government try to provide a safety net through these moratoriums and through these restrictions on evictions that they've, they've put out here. My personal opinion, of course, I don't have a law degree, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't fully understand how the government works or make certain decisions, but my personal feel is that the CDC being the basis for this most recent control on eviction was a very weak case on the face of it. It makes some sense, but the fact that federal judges are are turning the eviction moratorium you know, that they came out of the CDC in September of last year in order to limit the spread of the virus, that that's a weak case. Or otherwise, these federal judges would not be judging it to be unconstitutional. That's just my thought on it. Um, so having said that, and I believe that there will be more judges that will make the same decision throughout the country, do you believe that our federal government, especially under the current administration, is going to make possible other ways to support households and families who have been affected so deeply by COVID? Like, are you are you hearing anything, or do you, do you think that our administration is going to to say, OK, so we can't restrict it, but we're going to provide other ways for these families to be cared for.
1: You know, I, I think it's going to depend on how fast the economy rebounds. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's no argument that it's a it's a mess. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been yeah. displaced and I feel sorry for them. There are a lot of homeowners that are owed rent. I feel sorry for them. The, the problem is, the reality of it is, until the economy gets back to where it was, you just can't make money appear from nowhere. The, the situation now is such that there's not really anything in place, and the government, you know, as far as a the stay, they're doing the this recent assistance for homeowners, you know, the $1,400 right. and that kind of thing. Uh, th- that's going to help, but I think long-term, it's just going to depend on how the economy does in the next three to six months and how it rebounds. Right. It, it, again, it's just, it's just difficult. You're just going to have to be patient yeah. with it. I know there's a lot of people who need help. The problem is, how are you going to pay for all this stuff? You know, how does government make its money? Well, the government makes its money basically through taxes. Well, what generates taxes? The economy. You know, eventually somebody's got to pay for all this stuff. And, you know, I don't know how it's going to happen. You know, it's just, you you know, government tries to do the best it can to help the citizens as much as it can. But you just can't rely upon the government to do everything. You know, and it's just it's just a huge problem. And then, then my personal opinion is of it. You know, the government does the best it can, but the government's probably one of the most least efficient things there is as far as getting right. stuff done. Sometimes, you know, people have to kind of follow their own instinct, yeah. and you got to take a long, hard look at what you're going to do. You know, I can see how you can want some out of your house. You could sell it and try to make some money, and you know, pocket it. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm not sure what it's. I'm not sure if it's a good idea to be flipping properties right now because even though the market's great, I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, the, the market bubble now is maybe a little bit bigger than it was back in 2008. Right. So, I might sell a house. I'm not sure if I'd sell one and, and buy a right, couple more right. or not. You know, but, I mean, you might want to sell high and put the money in the bank. Then if something happens, buy cheap, you know. but But I think your homeowners have to look at what they right. want to do. You know, if they're not, if they're losing money, you know, and rent unpaid, that should it seem to me like that should be a loss sure. on their, you know, I mean, and there's ways they can help try to compensate for some of that. But I think each individual homeowner has to kind of sit back. You know, it's not like you could just say, well, everybody should be doing this or everybody should be trying to help people, or nobody should kick anybody out. You have to look at it on a case-by-case basis. And, and, you basis. know,
0: that's, yeah. that is just the, the way that we've done it, you know, every single time. And and so, you know, one of the things that I, I want, you know, our listeners to know is that we do take everything on a case-by-case basis. I have tried for years to create a across-the-board you know, response for non-payment, and um, and the, the reality is, it it always comes across whenever I have a standard. You know, uh, response to people who are thirty days non-paid or forty-five days non-paid or fifteen days non-paid. Somebody's going to have a problem with my system. You know, it'll be the homeowner will say, "Well, I think that's you're being a little too harsh." You know, I mean we we need to give them another week or two, and and I'll say, "Okay, well, you know," and so I have to end up bending to that. So what we've ended up doing is creating a relationship with our homeowners, with our tenants, and you know, having a very specific conversation with each one. And of course, Mike has done the same thing. Over the years, pre-COVID, you know, we were able to be very, you know, communicate a lot more with with tenants that were in eviction. And, um, And sometimes we passed cases, you know, a, a long time, you know, in order to, to make sure these people were back on their feet before we, you know, completely dropped the case and, and, uh, and moved on from there. You know, I'll say this one thing in response to what you just said. And then, and then, um, and then we'll end for today. I've been able to ask questions to a couple of different presidents that we've had here in the United States. Um, and of course I'm 44. So, you know, my, the, the presidents that I would have been able to speak to, it's a very limited group, um, and so I'm not going to mention which president this is. I'm going to let you imagine who you think said, uh, what I'm about to say. So that, that'll, that'll just be for fun. And if you want to call me later and, and ask me who it was, I'll tell you. But I got to talk to a president, um, a, a former president back in the mid nineties and, um, he was, uh, it, just in an interview. Uh, and I got to ask him because I was in I was a practicing social worker at the time and, and doing some ministry as well. And I just said, you know, what do you see, Mr. President, as being the future for a governmental role in the support of families here in the United States? Because we have a very unique system here. We're not a socialist country. We may never see socialism here in the United States just because of the unique manner in which the United States works. You know, it's a free market, uh, capitalist nation, um, a democratic republic, if you will. And so how do you see the federal government helping people in need? And he said to me, Aaron, you know, the government has never had as strong of a role in helping people as their neighbors have had. And he said, you know, the United States has a a very rich tradition of churches and nonprofit organizations and neighbors and community organizations um, and cities, you know, and smaller communities, neighborhoods coming together in order to to support the people that have need. And he and he said, you know, certainly we would love to see the federal government be more involved, more capable um, and more caring of being able to, to provide support for Americans. Citizens, as they have need, and he said, "But if you read history here in the United States, your help is going to come from your neighbor." And so, I guess the very last thing I would want to say to everybody, you know, who's listening, is help your neighbor, be kind. This is a tough time. Um, it's tough to be a landlord right now. Uh, we're doing our jobs, and we're paying attention to what the law is going to allow and not allow us to do. But Mike, you've even given me some information on this uh, this chat um, that I'm going to carry back to my investors and I'm going to say, Hey, you know what? 80% of your rent sounds like a whole lot better than none of it. If that's, if that's accessible to us. And, and so you and I might be working with that advocate in court on more cases than I had previously anticipated. So, um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you friend. Um, so if, if people want to talk to you directly about their own, you know, legal need, um, Or they have questions about, you know, COVID and evictions or or just about anything else involving, you know, real estate here in Memphis, Tennessee in in regards to the law. How would they get a hold of you? Where would they contact you?
1: My office number is 901-591-8800. My office is in East Memphis, but I'm downtown. You know, every time I have to go downtown for court, I'm down there quite a bit, too. If you're local and you got a problem, you got a six-pack, I got a nice deck we can sit on, you know take care of it yeah. that way too you know or you know i've kind of like one thing i'll let you i'm kind of like you. aaron aaron's the same way we're kind of pragmatists for dealing yeah. with these things you know and we're just trying to get from point a to point b in the the most linear fashion we can without causing all the parties concerned without without causing uh, any more strife between people if we need to and i think that's like the president said that's what yeah. we should do is i think is Human beings and respect each other. You know, you can't just look at these people as tenants that hadn't paid and not have a a heart to some extent, too. Because, like you said, you have to look at these on an individual basis. Every homeowner has their own story about the struggles they're having right now. Every tenant has their own struggles about what, you know, what's going on. You're talking about people's livelihood and people's lives. And I think you have to kind of look at them in a humanistic way. That's the only way to do it. We don't have any choice right now. We don't have any choice right now.
0: Yeah, I would agree. We need to maintain our own humanity in the process. And um, so, okay, so your telephone number one more time to get a hold of you at the office is? 901 591 8800. Okay. And and everyone listening, you can also find us at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com and if you didn't have a moment to catch that number from Mike uh, just now, you can also call us. Reach out to us. We'll be happy to connect you with Mike as well. So Mike, thank you again for Talking with me after hours on a Friday afternoon. This is a huge sacrifice for you. I'm so grateful for you and your friendship.
1: But <laughs> well, Aaron has a way of remembering things that pop up at 4:15 on a Friday afternoon. Whenever I've left the office, I, I'm always giving him a hard time about that. But that's the good thing about being friends; it doesn't bother me because I know he's not. He's not. He's not asking something that doesn't have merit to it. So
0: right. okay. Okay. Thanks, man. Weekend. I appreciate you. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. Be sure to subscribe at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Enterprise Property Management's real estate services, please visit us on the web at epmrealestate.com. This has been a Sound Ideas Group production for Enterprise Property Management, Inc. Bye.